Morning. Happy New Year. Good to get to worship with you today. Uh, if you're new here, you're a guest visiting with us, I uh, just want to say welcome. My name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors here. I'll be preaching today. Thanks for coming and checking out Redemption Church. Uh, a couple of quick announcements. While I'm making some announcements, if you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 119, that's where we're going to be today. Also, today is day one of our 365 Bible reading plan. This is, this is the deal, guys. In 2023, we want to challenge you. Uh, and we want to encourage you, and we want to help you read through the Bible from beginning to end. And yes, that is, uh, it's a big challenge, but it's very doable. And we are gonna, we're going to do some things to, to help make it uh, even more doable. And so um, I encourage you to accept this challenge. If you don't accept this challenge, of course, that's a personal decision. We don't kick you out of the church or forbid you from coming on Sundays or anything like that, but we would love you to consider it. And I would say this, a lot of people don't want to take that challenge because they're pretty confident that they're going to fail. And I would say that's a bad reason uh, to not take the challenge. It's okay to fail. Uh, We kind of live in a society that says that's never okay. But if you fail trying to read the Bible the whole way through, I think probably what happened was you read some of the Bible. And that's not a bad thing. And so don't be afraid to fail. Maybe you don't get very far. Maybe you get frustrated. Um, we want to help. I think, I think you'll be surprised uh, at, at how, um, how, I don't want to say easy, how, how accomplishable this actually becomes when you break it down. And so uh, please consider taking this challenge. If you do take that challenge in our Facebook group, there's a link to where you can sign up. You don't necessarily have to sign up, but it'd be very helpful and encouraging to me uh, and to our staff if you do sign up so that we know who's taking this challenge. Also, I'm very curious. Uh, There is a question on the sign-up sheet if you have ever read through the Bible from beginning to end before, and it's been very interesting. We have, I think, 32 people that have signed up so far, and the overwhelming majority of them have not read through the Bible. And so it's very helpful for me to know as we go through the Bible together this year uh, that for most of you, this is your first time attempting to read the Bible from beginning to end. And so that'll help uh, kind of direct how we resource you and help you through that. So this guide will take you through uh, the Old Testament part of that challenge. The first thing you see in here is the Bible reading plan. Every day of the year up until October 7th or something like that is uh, laid out for you, what you need to read each day. And you say, why does it end on October? Because this is just the Old Testament uh, book. In October, we'll start the New Testament and we'll give you another book for that. So this tells you exactly what to read and um, breaks it down into the pace that you need to read at in order to get through the Bible in one year. Uh, I've uploaded several videos to our YouTube channel to help you through that. There's a video explaining this guide. There's a video with, uh, there's several videos with some tips and tricks to getting this done. And there's also going to be videos throughout the year explaining things that come up in the Bible. Let me say this. I was I was um, on social media last night and I got an ad from a, some Muslim ministry and they were raising funds to start some sort of Muslim education center in Florida somewhere. 
And I was curious, so I started clicking on some links, and one of the first things that they showed me, now these are American Muslims, one of the first things they showed me was an evangelical pastor who converted to Islam because he didn't think that Jesus claimed to be God in the Bible. And that is the level of, let's say, ignorance that is becoming very pervasive in America. We don't know what the Bible really says. Uh, It's not super surprising to me that a pastor would not know what the Bible says because there are lots of examples of that. But here's here's the reality is there is a war going on for the souls of Americans and Muslims are geared up and we need to know what the scriptures say. And we need to know God's truth as revealed in his word, that Jesus does claim to be God. And so if you are just complacently accepting uh, a lack of knowledge about the scriptures and you've done okay so far, that might change in the near future. It's becoming more and more important that we dig in and know what the word of God says. So please join me. 365 Bible reading plan. Let's go through the Bible together this year and grow uh, together as we do so. All right, that's it for announcements. That's my pitch for the 365 Bible reading plan. Encourage you to grab one of those. By the way, those are on the tables that as you go out the doors today, those little round silver tables, you can grab one of those. Those are free. We just want you to have that uh, and we'll print more if we run out. So please grab one of those. All right, let's look at, we're gonna get to Psalm 119 in a minute. Um, but let's, let me pray and let's get into the, the message together. Father, we love you. We thank you for letting us celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ, which makes well our souls, even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of trials. Father, you, you have made us right with you through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, on the cross. And regardless of whatever else may happen in our lives, we have peace with you. I thank you for that reminder this morning as we sang, it is well with our souls because of what Jesus has done. Father, enable us as we, as we start this new sermon series this, this week on our core values enable us to really focus on what's most important and to live lives that will count for eternity. Speak to us as we get into your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today, as I just hinted there, we're kicking off this sermon series on our four core values. And our first core value is that we want, as a church, we want to be Bible-centered, and so if you have the handout that we gave you on the way in, go ahead and get that out. Let's, let's go ahead and let's fill in the first set of blanks right away. You'll see on the handout that it says our core value number one is that we are Bible-centered, and then we describe that this way. We believe that God's word preached, taught, shared among each other, and studied individually, etc., is the means by which God grows his people. Why do we want you to be in the word in 2023? It's because this is how God grows his people. 
This is how we grow in him. It is, it is the food that nourishes us spiritually and enables us to know him, to become more like him, to live according to his purposes for our lives. That, that word, the Bible, is how God grows his people. And so as a church, when we, when we began in 2019 and we said, okay, you know, we, we need we need sort of a north star. What are the things? What are the things that we want to focus on? What direction are we heading? What are we going to prioritize as a church? Uh, it was clear to us that the first thing we needed to prioritize is that we want to be a Bible-centered church. Now, no church. Well, I should, most churches are. Are going to say that the Bible is important to them. That's nothing super groundbreaking. Most, I don't think you're going to find too many churches that are going to say the Bible is is not important to them. Though there are some, but practically, the way that that is lived out is what is important. Practically, how do we how do we display? How do we show that we are a Bible centered church? And so, we place a a strong priority. Uh, in our weekly gatherings on the preaching of God's word, not necessarily the preaching of, um, you know, how to, how to succeed at your job or how to have the best marriage. And those things are important, but we want to simply open the word of God and say, let's read this together and talk about what it says. So that's one of the ways that we live that out. But we also, we also emphasize the centrality of the scriptures in the way we do church. And in, in the way that we lead this church and in the way that we operate as disciples of Christ in this church, that's what it means to be Bible-centered. And so as we think about Bible-centered, we're actually going to spend two weeks on this one. But today what I want to do uh, is, especially as we, we launch into this Bible reading plan, is I want to whet your appetite for the Scriptures, I, I hope that you'll leave here today with a desire, a hunger to be in the Bible this year. And so let me share with you three things to know about God's word that I hope will produce a desire in you to get into the word this year. Number one, God's word produces blessing and a clear conscience for those who obey it. It produces blessing and a clear conscience for those who obey it. We're gonna look at Psalm 119. I asked you to turn there earlier. Psalm 119 is gonna be the text that we're gonna work out of for all three of these points today. The first one, I wanna read the first eight verses, but let me make sure you got those, those fill in the blanks. It produces blessing and a clear conscience for those who obey it. Psalm 119 says, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If, if only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Never abandon me. 
The psalm, Psalm 119 is one of the longest psalms. It's one of the longest chapters in the Bible. Uh, the psalmist is going to explain, he's going to expound upon many characteristics of God's word. And he's also going to, to declare many of the benefits of somebody who, who knows, meditates upon, and responds to God's word with obedience. And this is how he starts. He says, how happy are those whose way is blameless. And he's going to define blameless as somebody who obeys the word of God. That's what it means in this psalm to be blameless. Now, happy is an interesting choice. It happens again in verse two. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. Many translations say that they are blessed. Some say that they are joyful. Uh, happy is probably, uh, if, if you think, if, when you hear happy, if you think just sort of gleeful and trouble-free, don't think that way about this passage. In this context, that's not what happy means. Happy means to be blessed. Happy means to have joy. Joy is, is not dependent upon immediate circumstances. Joy and blessing goes much deeper. You can be blessed and be in dire straits. You can be blessed and be in a troubling situation. You can be blessed and not, not be gleefully happy. But those who, whose ways are blameless, in other words, those who keep the commands of God found in Scripture, those who obey what the Word of God says, they will be blessed. One of the ways they'll be blessed is they'll be blessed with a clear conscience. The psalmist says in verse 5, if only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes. I think we can all relate to, to some degree with this frustration of if only I did more of what God commanded, if only I was better at obeying him, then, then my life, my, my conscience would be more clear, my life would be more blessed, I would, I would have less to be ashamed of. And then he said, because he says in verse six, then I would not be ashamed when I think about all your commands. If when you think of what God has commanded in, your script, in his scripture, your, if your immediate response is guilt, if your immediate response is I don't do that well, then the, the, first, the first antidote to that is something that the psalmist did not did not yet understand fully that you and I have from this perspective in God's redemptive plan, the first antidote is that our salvation is not dependent upon us keeping his word perfectly. That our salvation is secured by the one who did. Our salvation is secured by Jesus coming and perfectly obeying God's commands. That's the first, the first response that we need to have to a, a guilty conscience. 
Our conscience can be soothed knowing that our Savior has perfectly obeyed God's commands. And so when we fail, we, we, don't, we don't fall into judgment based on our failure to keep God's commands, but we are secure in our salvation based on Jesus's obedience to what God had commanded. That is the first and most important response to a guilty conscience. However, we, if, we, if we stop there, then what we will do is we, we will never see the value of obeying God's word. We will never see the value of, by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, attempting to, to live obedient lives for God and will distort the gospel into a gospel that just covers our sins because we are indeed sinful. And we'll miss the part about the gospel that empowers us to live for Christ, that empowers us to obey his commands. And so we can't stop with simply soothing our conscience with the work of Christ. We must embrace the call to obey his commands. Then I would not be ashamed when I think about your commands, he says. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. This is not, the psalmist starts with, oh, I wish I did this better. If only, then I would have a clearer conscience. But his response then is, I will keep your commands. I will do what you have commanded. And so the first thing I want us to think about this year in, in regards to God's word is that it produces blessing and a clear conscience for those who obey it. It's not some, some magic potion that we can just sprinkle on people, uh, the, the gospel that is, that just negates the need to respond to God's word with obedience. We are called to obey. We are called to put into action what we read. Now, we'll talk about our, our, when we get to our third core value, when we talk about grace and what it means to imperfectly follow Christ, we'll get into that a little bit more. But, but today, I want to remind us that we're not called just to read the Bible, but we're called to obey it. In fact, that's the application that you'll see on the handout don't just read the Bible, obey the Bible. Each one of these points today is gonna have a specific application and this one is so important. It's so important that we don't approach the scriptures just seeking more knowledge or more information or, or seeking uh, you know, a badge that says, I read through the Bible in a year. There aren't any badges. We're not giving out any badges. You don't, you don't, well, you can, you can tell others that you did it, but you don't get to go around boasting just because you read the Bible. The real test is, did you obey it? Did you apply it to your life? James says in chapter one, James 1, 22 through 25, instructs us this way. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. You see that ties into what the psalmist is saying, that being in the word and obeying it produces blessing. James says the same thing here. Those who aren't just hearers only of the scriptures, and he says if that's you, you're deceiving yourself, but those who aren't just hearers only, but who actually do what they have been instructed in the scriptures to do, that person will be blessed. A lot of goodwill and wishes being offered this time of year. I hope you have a great new year. I hope you have a blessed 2023. That's that's great to wish that for someone. But wishing it for someone won't make it a reality. But we are told here that if we hear the word of God and do what it says, we most certainly will be blessed. We understand blessing in the context of scriptural blessing doesn't mean free from trouble, doesn't mean free from difficulties, doesn't mean you'll have the perfect year. It means you'll be blessed. It means that whatever happens to you, good or bad, you will, you will be drawn closer to Christ. It means that whatever happens to you, good or bad, your salvation will produce fruit in your life. That's what it means to be blessed. And we can wish for people to have a blessed year or we can get into the scriptures together and actually do the things that lead to blessing and grow together as the people of God. So the first thing, it produces blessing and a clear conscience for those who obey it. The second thing that you see on the handout is this. It is a weapon against the sin that seeks to destroy us. What do we need to know about the Bible? What do we need to know about God's word? It is a weapon against the sin that seeks to destroy us. What am I talking about? The sin that seeks to destroy us. Well, we find very early, by the way, and if you follow the Bible reading plan, you will read the first three chapters of Genesis today, and tomorrow you'll start with chapter four. And when you get to chapter four, this is what you will find. You'll hear the story of Cain and Abel, where Cain and Abel, two brothers, uh, sons of Adam and Eve, offered offerings to the Lord, and one of those offerings was pleasing to him, and the other one was not, and Cain was the one who offered the offering that was not pleasing to God, and he's angry. This is how God responds. God says to Cain, verse 6 of Genesis 4, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. How quickly we move in Genesis from God's good creation 
In Genesis 1, we hear how God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that is, and it was all good. But something terrible and something tragic happens in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve rebel against God, introduce sin into the world, and now we live in a fallen world. Once created to be nothing but good, the world is now fallen, and immediately the battle is on. And the battle is that sin has the potential to destroy every human being. And so God says to, to Cain, he, he says, sin is crouching at the door. What does that mean for something to be crouching at the door? Imagine this morning if you just very innocently got ready to come to church and thinking there was no danger awaiting you in this whole world, opened your door only to find a violent predatory lion was ready to pounce upon you. And you go, where did that come from? Why, what, what is happening? I thought I was safe. I felt comfortable. This, I, I thought there was no threats to my life. And that's exactly the way God describes sin. You may not be prepared for it. You may not expect it to come and destroy you. You may not know you even have an enemy. But he says to Cain, here is sin crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin, sin is seeking to destroy us, yet God has not left us defenseless. He has given us a weapon. And that weapon is his word. So Psalm 119 says in verse 9, the psalmist asks a question, how can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer is by keeping your word. I have sought you with all my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word." What, how do we yield? How, how do, we, do, do we yield to God and not to sin? By keeping his word in our hearts. How do we overcome in this battle against that which seeks to destroy us? We meditate on his word. We store it up in our hearts. These are the things the psalmist says that he does. He uses the word of God as a weapon against the sin that seeks to destroy him. So the application, you'll see this on the handout, the application is that we must learn to use the Bible in our battle against sin. We have to become more proficient at this. We need to learn not just to read the Bible, which, by the way, is, is a science in and of itself, and that's hopefully one of the things as we go through the Bible together this year will equip you better to, to read effectively. But we need to know not only how to read the Bible, but how to 
use it in this war that we are, we are thrust into with sin. This is exactly what Jesus does when he is tempted by Satan. We read about this in Matthew chapter four. After Jesus is baptized by, by John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's sent out into the desert where for 40 days he fasts. If you remember when we were in Deuteronomy, and we talked about the testing of Israel uh, uh, throughout the 40 years in the wilderness and how they failed that test. But then Jesus came and he passes the test in the wilderness. So this is what we, we read in Matthew chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. How does Jesus respond to temptation? I mean, think about this. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. 40 days he had not eaten. I could not pass up the temptation of bread if I hadn't eaten for like 40 minutes. <laughs> you get some fresh baked bread and say, mm, doesn't, that, doesn't that seem tempting? Yes, that sounds fantastic. But Jesus, having fasted for 40 days, how does he, how does he engage in this battle uh, uh, over sin? He quotes scripture. Verse four, it is written. He's quoting scripture. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He knows how to respond to this temptation. He's ready. He's ready with the word. He's ready with scripture. So then verse five says, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, you see what Satan's doing? Satan understands the game. Oh, okay, we're gonna have a battle over what, the Bible, over what scripture says. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. What Satan does is he engages Jesus by twisting what the scriptures say. He twists what God has said and hands that to Jesus with the temptation of sin. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. He approaches Adam and Eve and he, he twists what God says and he gives it back to them. Adam and Eve did not know how to properly handle God's word. They did not know how to respond to someone who twisted God's word and handed it to them. Jesus did. Jesus was prepared for this. He recognizes what Satan is doing, and he says, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. You and I live in a world where the scriptures are being twisted and handed to us. And so many Christians don't know what to do. We, we don't know how to, to adequately handle the word of God. We must learn to use the Bible. We must learn how to properly handle the scriptures. Everything is at stake here. Your, your, 
victory over sin in your own life, your ability to, to properly share the gospel, your ability to refute the false claims of those who are seeking to tear down our Christian faith, you must know how to use the word of God. Again, verse eight, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. Jesus responded to every temptation that the devil brought to him by accurately and skillfully using the word of God to rebuke him. That's what we have to learn how to do. You're like, well, that's Jesus. He, was, he had some advantages. He, he did and he didn't. You and I also, we have the same spirit and we have the same scriptures. In fact, we, we have the New Testament now written down for us. And we too need to learn how to use this word, use the Bible in our battle against the sin that seeks to destroy us. Third, the last thing that I wanna say regarding the scriptures, and you'll see on your handout, it says it turns our hearts toward the Lord. The third thing to know about the Bible is that it turns our hearts toward the Lord. What I mean by this is we live in a world where there are, there are a seemingly infinite number of things that appeal to our desires, that appeal to, to us as human beings and seek to pull us in a certain direction. We live in a world full of brilliant marketers. We live in a world where where sin is seeking to pull us away from God. We are in a battle with the enemy of our souls and, and we live in a, in, in, in a flesh that is not yet redeemed. And if we don't tell our hearts where to go, they're going to go the wrong way. And the world says, hey, just follow your heart. Well, we see how that's turning out. People are following their hearts every day and our world is a mess. Following your heart, following your natural desires, your natural inclinations is the surest way to destroy your life and the lives of the people around you. But, but the good news is, is that when we get into the word, the word steers our heart. The word steers our affection it points our hearts and our desires toward the Lord. So the psalmist says in Psalm 119, let's look at verse 33. In verse 33, he says, teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Help me stay on the path of your commands for I take pleasure in it. Verse 36, he says, turn my heart to your decrees and not to dishonest profit. 
Turn my eyes, verse 37, from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. Confirm what you've said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. How I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. Help me stay on the path. Turn my heart. Turn my eyes. This is the beauty of what God's word does for us. God, through his word, he places us on the path, keeps us on the path. As long as we keep in the word and keep doing what it says, then, then we're on the path. He turns our heart, our desires, our affections. He turns them towards what is good. He turns our eyes. I love what the psalmist says. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. So much of what we fix our gaze upon, if you know what I mean, so much of what we set our hearts on in this world at the end of the day is worthless. Absolutely worthless. I get that little reminder on my iPhone. I think it comes once a week. Here's how much time you've spent. Here's how much screen time you've had this week. It's not good. Not good. (laughs) And I think how much of that is worthless. But the Bible teaches us to value what is infinitely worthy. The Bible teaches us to value what is eternal. As you spend time in the scriptures, as you spend time in the word of God, you will turn towards what is good. You'll think about it. You'll desire it. You'll, you'll spend, you, you, you'll, it'll put other things into perspective. It'll allow you to see what is truly valuable what is truly worth giving your life to. But if you don't spend time in the scriptures, your heart's just gonna go where the heart naturally goes, which is not towards God, which is not towards the things that are eternally valuable, which is not towards the things that are right and good. So the Bible becomes a tool to steer our hearts it's, it becomes a tool to turn our affections towards what is good. So the application here and the last thing that appears on the handout is this. Turn to the word and the Lord will turn your heart to what is good. Do you want to grow in 2023? Do you want to be a better person? Do you want to be a better Christian? Do you want to be a better spouse or a better parent or a better brother or a better disciple disciple or follower of Christ, get in the word. And you, you'll become all of those things. You'll grow in every area of your life. One of the things I want to challenge us to do is when you take this book, I want you to open it to the front cover and it's blank inside here. I want you to, to to spend some time this week and come up with at least two or three questions that you have about your life that you would like God to answer 
from his word this year? Two or three questions. And, and I mean, if you come up with more, that's, that's great. But I really encourage you to focus on what are a couple of key things that as you look ahead in 2023, and they could be, they could be life-altering things like, does God want me to stay in this marriage? Or does God want me to take a different job opportunity? It could be something massive like that. Or, or it could just be, how do I respond to my atheist coworker? Or how do I, how do I deal with my teenager who doesn't want anything to do with my Christian faith? What are some things that, that in 2023, you, you want God to answer from his word? And just write those in that front cover so that they're with you throughout the year. And then as we go through the scriptures together, we're gonna, we're gonna go through the scriptures seeking answers, not just seeking answers to those questions. Don't read the Bible that way. But we're gonna go through the scriptures expecting God to shed light on those situations and on those questions that we have. And in the process, we're gonna expect him to, to steer, to turn our hearts, our affections. Many of those questions might have to do with your heart's desires. And, and God is gonna steer and he's gonna guide and he's gonna correct where you need to be corrected or he's going to encourage where you need to be encouraged. But expect God to work in your life as you get in the scriptures this year. You wanna change? You wanna become more like Christ? Open the Bible, read it, and obey it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful that we, you have spoken. You have revealed yourself. You have made known your will. We have questions, you have answers. And Father, I pray that we would take this challenge seriously to be people of the Bible, to be Bible-centered, not just as a church, but as individuals, to be Bible-centered as families, to be Bible-centered as employees, to be Bible-centered as students. Help us to take seriously this, this command to read and obey. And in the process, may you be glorified. May you make us into the people you desire for us to become. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.